let's, let's look at the context and the setting. So Jesus is teaching in the temple or in the synagogue or in church, if you will. And while the teaching was going on, just like now, the scribes and the Pharisees somehow found a woman who was committing adultery and they couldn't deal with it on their own. They brought the woman. Maybe they rolled the man off of top, top of her, grabbed her, and brought her to the church sanctuary, just like now. Can you imagine while we are preaching, teaching now, somebody just busts through the door and they're dragging a the woman. And they drag her and say, Jesus, this, no, first of all, Jesus, we are going to interrupt your teaching. Because what we are about to share with you is more important than your teaching. This woman was caught in adultery. In case you miss what we just said. In the very act. So you have to ask yourself the question. What kind of people are these? These scribes and Pharisees, what kind of human beings are they? Because if you don't ask these right questions, you will not understand certain things Jesus said. The Pharisees were a group of self-righteous separatists. Actually, the name Pharisee means set apart. They were not set apart for God. They were set apart to the law. The law of Moses, that is. At least that's what they claimed that they were set apart for. So these were self-righteous men who were also separatists who opposed bitterly Jesus' teachings and sought for any means to decrease his influence among the people. This is the sole purpose for the existence. They claimed that they loved the law, which if they really truly did love the law, the lawgiver was standing right in front of them. But they were bitterly opposed to him and sought to decrease his influence among the people. So much so in Matthew chapter 3 verse 7, the Bible calls them a generation of vipers. Generation of what? Vipers. What do you do to vipers? Other than, if you don't ask out of the zoo, if a viper came to you, now what do you do to them? Killing. Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't play with the viper. The viper has no interest about your welfare. He's going to what? Bite you and put you in the grave. Then Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 verse 20 tells us, except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees that you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, what is there? What, 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 what righteousness was Jesus alluding to? Now, I'm still giving the context of the Pharisees because you need to know who they are. And you need to know how God thinks about them so that you can properly understand this text. It says, Our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Why? Because their righteousness was self righteousness. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees 
was righteousness based on the law of Moses. How well they adhered to or lived according to the law of Moses. So much so that they took the law of Moses and in their incredible hypocrisy added to it what God never intended. So these are the people who now caught the woman in adultery and brought her to Jesus. Let's just read one more verse. In John 8 verse 5, this is now Moses in the law commanded us that such be stoned. But what do you say? And thank God for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6 reveals to us their heart. These they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. Can you imagine these people? So they were not asking a real, they were not asking a genuine question out of good motivation. So, question. If these people were so concerned for the law of Moses, where was the man with which this woman was coming out of the country? Do you see the hypocrisy? Two people were engaged in this activity. The only but one. And then they asked him the question. This is what the law of Moses said. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But Jesus, we know you are the son of God. And we know in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Therefore, we can only assume that since you are so familiar with the word, you know what the love of Moses says. So what shall we do to this woman? Now, this is important you follow what I'm saying this morning. Because we have been talking about overcoming sexual infidelity. And we need to understand how God thinks about it and what God wants to see happen in it. Now, it amazes me time after time after time how God meets us in his timing. Incredible. A few months ago, we begin to hear about all this crazy stuff happening in Hollywood and all the news media about uh, all these big men harassing their, their staff at work and engaging in immorality and on and on. Big names. All of a sudden, God's beginning to shed light on all of that. Because many of us are sucked into social media. We sucked into the news. We, we see these men and women as almost pseudo-gods. And God begins to remove the curtains and expose their nakedness. So we can begin to see the darkness that's going on when the camera lights are off. And just this last week, big news out of Pennsylvania. More than 1,000 children abused by over 300 predator priests in six Pennsylvania dioceses over the last 70 years. Think about that. Now, those are the ones that were exposed. Because you understand 
This is not just happening in Pennsylvania. This is just one state. We heard about Massachusetts years ago. And now the Associated Press, as they, they began to investigate and say that for decades, most of the priests have been sexually abusing the nuns and the sisters. Now, I know as Holy Ghost, Pentecostal, Charismatics, you are saying, you are dismissing that and say, ah, that's the Catholic Church. If anyone investigated the Charismatic Church, I almost want to say that we are either just as good or worse. And that is the reason for which we are doing what we're doing. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is the big elephant in the room. We cannot dismiss it that it does not happen because it does. Now, Dr. Norfolk last week gave us the consequences for this act. And I don't want to go back there this morning because I want to move forward. There are grave consequences for living this kind of lifestyle. Grave destruction, divorce, guilt, shame, condemnation. It goes on and on and on. And again, as we said, from day one, most families never fully recover. Most never fully recover. It's nothing anyone wants to participate in. You should flee from it, run from it, because it does not demonstrate who God is. It is one of the most deadly sins anyone can commit. Because that's a sin you commit with your entire body. Amen? But I don't want to hop on that this morning. I want to move forward beyond that. We already know the consequences. But these Pharisees came with their goal to put guilt on this woman, to cause her to be in shame, and to bring condemnation. They had no other reason. Guilt, Shame, condemnation, and while at it, to also entrap Jesus. To put Jesus in a contrary crosshair against the law of Moses. So they can say, we caught you. You don't like the law of Moses. We caught you. You are not a man of God. That's what they're trying to do. But unfortunately, they chose the wrong person. That's why this morning when I sat back and I heard the songs that were being sung, uh, the name of Jesus, how wonderful Savior he is, what a deliverer he is, and all of that, I said to myself, man, if we fully understand who he is and what he has done and what he has made available, there is no way anyone will hear the name Jesus where you will not jump up. Yes. Hallelujah. What a wonderful Savior. What a deliverer. What a cleanser. What a person that will take your shame and cover it up and remove your guilt and say, no, you are not under any condemnation. Incredible what he did. But they came to the wrong person. Why? Because remember Jesus is the word. He's familiar with what God has already done. Ah. 
For you to understand that, go with me to the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 1. Hosea chapter 1. Jesus was familiar. Thank you. He was familiar with guilt, shame, and condemnation. Hosea chapter 1. Now let me find it myself. Verse 2, I think. Give me verse 2. Look at what God says to a prophet. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of harlotry. Now, if that's not bad enough, God defines that. Not only is she a wife of harlotry, and the children of harlotry. For the lion has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. Go to chapter 3 for me. Hosea chapter 3. Hosea chapter 3. Verse 1. The Lord said to me, go again. Love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. Are you reading this? Are you guys here? No, no, no. Maybe we should read it together. One, two. Let's read it together. Then. The Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who's loved by a lover and is committing what? Hold it! God is talking to this prophet. Go and marry a woman who's number one, a harlot. And her children, the children of harlotry. And then number two, chapter three, a woman who's loved by a lover, by another lover. And he's committing what? Adultery. Now, I'm, 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 I'm giving you the context for this whole story. If you don't get this, you won't get chapter 8 of John. So here is God telling his prophet to go and marry a woman who is a harlot, who is an adulterer. Now go back to uh, Hosea chapter 1, verse 10. Hosea chapter 1, verse 10. Good. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sign of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There it shall be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. Go back to Hosea chapter 2 verse 23. I'll make the point in a minute. I hope your head is not cracking right now. Then I will sow her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people, and they shall say, you are my God. This is the point. These Pharisees brought this woman to a man who is acutely, acutely familiar with the heart of God. Because what we see in Hosea is God using the prophet symbolically to demonstrate how unfaithful Israel had been to him. God was using this man to show us that Israel, in their unfaithfulness, was committing hoedom. In other words, I want you to be a living message of how Israel has helped me. I want you for me to, to, to feel what I have always felt. Go and marry a harlot. And in so doing, you begin to understand how unfaithful Israel has been to me. 
So when they were marrying the harlots, God said, you're no longer my children. When you're unfaithful. But the same God we just read said, those of you who I say are not my people, you are now my people. So there was a time when he was upset with them and said, you are not my people. But there was another time, out of his mercy, he says, you are my people. Are you following me so far? So the book of Hosea is only in our Bible to show us two things. Number one, to show what Israel's idolatry did to God. But number two, and very importantly, to teach us that a man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We are not to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You and I are to live on the proceeding word. No, no, just, not just on the word, but the proceeding. What is God saying now? What is he saying about this situation? What is he saying about this circumstance? What is he saying about this problem? No, I know what he said, past tense, but what is he saying? Because to Abraham, he said, kill Isaac. But to the same Abraham, he says, don't kill him. Let him live. Same God. Two different things. Abraham obeyed the proceeding word. And the point I'm making this morning is, what would have happened if Hosea said to God, when God said, go marry the harlot? If Hosea gave God the law. Oh no, I cannot marry. You know who I am? I'm a priest. I'm a prophet of God. This woman is harlot. The word of God said, I should not do this. Why should I do that? Are you following me? Now, this is important. I'm setting the context for the whole message. The whole book of Hosea can be summarized in one sentence. What is the sentence? Jehovah loves his people despite their apostasy. Let me take off my jacket. I'm getting ready to preach now. Jehovah loves his people despite their apostasy. Oh, you didn't hear me. Because you are here this morning or you are watching my streaming and you are wondering what you did, how you did it, how you blew it, how you didn't do it, how you didn't do this, how you didn't do that. And you're wondering if because of that, you are now out of favor with God. If God could restore Hosea, <laughs> if he could restore Israel, the message to us is that Jehovah loves his people despite their apostasy. Oh yeah, while you're apostasizing, you suffer. It is hellish. You'll be constrained You've been darkness. Yes. The wages of sin is still death. That never changes. But you must understand that in the darkest of the darkest hours, there's still light that's coming. Now, before I break it down, there are three reasons 
major reasons why people commit adultery. Number one, undeveloped emotions. We don't talk about that enough. Undeveloped emotions. Let me, let me, let me, let me just give one or two cues on that. A man or a woman with an undeveloped emotion is a person who has adult features. They look like they're grown. They are tall. They're normal. They look like they're grown. Like you see me now, you say I'm an adult. You look at me, you look at AIG, you say AIG is a child, I'm an adult. So a person with undeveloped emotions has adult features. But in their mind, they're adolescent. In their mind, they're teenagers. They're babies. Oh, you didn't hear me. When you look at them, they wear trousers like you. They wear shirt. Or if it's a dress, they put it on. They wear high heel. They smell good. They look good. So in all the appearance of what you're seeing, they look like they are developed and matured until they open their mouth. Or maybe not when they open their mouth until they begin to do certain things. So you look at them in the morning and say, man, Charles, you did very well. You're a great guy, man. Oh, I really appreciate you. You're wonderful. You give them a high five. You commend them. Five minutes later, the same person just commented. Commended. They said something. And you said, man, why are you talking like a child? There you go. Undeveloped emotions. If you marry a man or a woman with undeveloped emotions, you are man in trouble. Because you'll be developing while you're marrying them. And you're going to go back and do the things that they've always dreamt about, talk about. They are so made in high school, in primary school, all these Facebook connections. Why they are married to you, they are connected back to them. You are in trouble. Undeveloped emotions. Now, there are categories or subcategories of all of that. I don't want to get into that. Number two reason. Unresolved conflicts. Unresolved conflicts. So you have an argument, a disagreement, you didn't resolve it, she, it goes to work, she goes to work, and then a workmate, a friend sees them, they didn't want to talk about it, but they got it out of them, ah, uh, blah, 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 happened, and before you know it, they're vulnerable, it's over. It's over. God knows what he's saying when he says you should not let the sun go down upon your wrath. Resolve it! Because when they get out of that house, someone ordained by the devil is waiting to give them an ear where you are not willing to listen. It's not the attraction physically. No. It's the connection emotionally. They feel they're not connected to you for some reason. You didn't resolve it before you know it's over. And then number three, unmet needs. But I don't want to focus on that this morning because I want to go back to John chapter 8. Now, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. In verse 12 of John chapter 8. Then Jesus spoke to them again. You know, and I've omitted so much, but I want to get back to this message. John 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again and said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have 
the light of life. Wow. Excuse me, what relevance does John 8, 12 have with the issue of a woman caught in adultery? Has anybody ever asked that question? Read it again. They brought a woman caught in adultery. He rode on the floor, on the ground. All the Pharisees disappeared. And he said to the woman, where are your accusers? He said, no one accuses me. Jesus said, great. Neither do I. Go and see no more. And the next thing he blotted out, he that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I'm the light of the world. What connection is that? This is huge. <laughs> what Jesus is saying here is huge. Can you say huge with me? Because I don't want you to miss it. On the surface, you are wondering, come on, Jesus, we are not in darkness here. Because obviously, if he was writing on the ground, there was life for them to read what he was writing. So it was not the absence of light he was addressing. Couldn't have been. And yet he says to them, he that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. This, what he said in John 8, 12, is different from what he said in John 9, 5. Ha, yeah, 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 yeah. What did he say in John 9, 5? Give me the scripture. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Right? Go on. Verse 6. Give me verse 4. Good. Before he said, I'm the light of the world, in John chapter 9-5, look at what he said, John 9-4. I must walk. I must walk. I must walk. Oh, you're not catching it. I must walk the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can walk. walk. What's the emphasis in John, 5, John 5, 9? Walk! Walk! Now, which party did you guys go last night? You guys are looking tired. You're, you're, most of you are sleeping. I don't want to look in your direction because I'll give you a wig. <laughs> I want mercy to prevail. Amen. <laughs> My goodness! How can you miss this? John 9, verses 4 and 5. The emphasis, I must walk. The works of him who sent me while it is day. For the night cometh when no man can or no one can walk. So the emphasis in John 9 relating to light is working. What you do. What you do. He is the light to show direction about what you do. The emphasis in John chapter 9 is doing. Work. Go back to John chapter 8. Verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. Was the emphasis. He who follows me. 
shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In other words, in John chapter 9, your emphasis is work. What you do, 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 do. In John chapter 8, the emphasis is follow. Follow. If you follow me, you will not have to walk in darkness. Follow. Where else did we hear the word follow? When he went to the Sea of Galilee and called those disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Oh, if that didn't do it for you, how about 1 Corinthians 11 in the NIV, chapter 11 verse 1. 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 11 verse 1 in the NIV, NIV translation. What did Paul tell those disciples? He says, follow me as I follow Christ. Sir, did you hear what I just said? Reggie, you are yawning. Are you sleepy too? I said 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, NIV. Thank you, sir. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, NIV. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, to really bring it so you can understand it. When Jesus says, if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. What is he really saying? Give me that 1 Corinthians 11 one in the NKJV now. NKJV, Reggie. Thank you, sir. Imitate me. Imitate. So, again, going back, I'm, I'm not belabeling this. In John chapter 9, the emphasis is work. What you do. How you do it. Where you get your unction and your direction from. About what you are doing. But in John chapter 8, the message is given to us now and for time and eternity is don't just rely on the morality of the law. The law only shows you white and black. It does not help you to make a choice of whether to do the white or the black. The law only shows you right and wrong. But it lacks the ability to help you to make a choice. This was the problem in the Garden of Eden. The tree of life gives what? Life. And then you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Rigid. It's not subject to change. Right? Wrong. Good? Bad. Up? Down. And God told them, don't eat of this tree. It is limited. It can only show you good and right, but has no ability to help you to make a choice. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Rather, eat of the tree of life. Tree of life knows good from bad. But beyond that, has the power and the ability to help you to do that which pleases God. So Jesus was saying to them, you have the audacity to bring to me a woman based upon the law, white and black. And you want me to make a choice. Is she wrong or is she right? You are missing it. Just like you missed it in the beginning. You forget who you are talking about. I am the same Jesus. Who? Who haven't read the book of Hosea. But I remember, Jesus, Jesus speaking now, 
in his own mind that his own mother, his birth was questioned because he was born of a virgin Mary. You go back in that day and time and explain that to anybody. I am Mary. I'm pregnant, but I've never known a man. Uh, yes, yeah, right. Uh-huh, well, uh, yes, right. We really believe you. You silly old prostitute. You old harlot. We know what you really did. Now you're, the truth about you is exposed. What you did in darkness has now come to light. That's exactly what Jesus and his family had to deal with in his early years. So when you talk about guilt, he knew about it. When you talk about shame, he had been shamed. When you talk of rejection, they were rejected. When you talk of condemnation, he was acutely familiar with condemnation. That's why these Pharisees chose the wrong person to bring this woman to. To now they accuse her of what she has done as if they were not doing the same thing. Hypocrisy calls them. So his message was, rather than judge life based on appearance, John 7 verse 24, he said, don't judge according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Rather than judging based on what you see or what you just heard, he said, follow me. Follow me means, watch what I do. See how I handle this situation. Let me be your pattern. Let me be your example. Oh, does that mean Jesus is condoning adultery? No, absolutely not. And I pray no one will live here and say we, we, we condone that. That's not the point. That's not the point. The point he's making is he came to restore man. He came to repair what's been broken. He came to mend broken hearts. That's what Jesus is all about. Restoration, transformation, I mean, uh, 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 acceptance, being a beloved and accepted. That's what it's all about. And that's the message he was passing on to us. Now, let me just say this quickly and then we need to find a way to wrap this up. Do you guys understand what I'm saying to you about Jesus and the woman cutting the adultery? Follow me. As I follow me, and as long as you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. You understand what they say now? It's not just saying, get a touch, get a flashlight. That's not what they're saying. He's saying, look at me. Let me be your moral compass. That's really what he's saying. Let me be your moral compass. Watch how I handle this. Watch how I handle this, and you do likewise. So if, whenever a person is entangled in this kind of situation, the most important thing is not the uh, set of rules and regulations, but the ability to hear what God is saying. What is God saying to you in that situation? What is he saying? Because I'm hearing some of you now say to me, did Jesus not say in Matthew chapter 19, if a woman is caught in adultery, that's the only legitimate reason, biblically, to get a divorce? I can hear you. I hear you, light on cloud, light on clear. You are saying that to me and I can hear you. But you, excuse me, sir, ma'am, whoever is asking me that question, did you read the context? Did you read who was asking him the question? Teachers of what? The law. 
Like these Pharisees, they've read the law. They know what the law says. And he says to them, yeah, you can do it. Now, am I saying people should not get divorced based on this? I have no authority to tell you what to do. What you must do is what you hear. My sheep, hear my voice. And the voice of the senior, they will not follow. So I have no authority whatsoever to tell you what to do. No, that's not my place. And that's why Jesus said, follow me. Wherever he leads you to, that's where you go. Remember, the Jesus that restored Peter was the Jesus that did not touch Judas. That's a loaded wow. sentence. I won't go there because I will not have time. Let me just wrap this up by quickly telling you what can we do to prevent affairs? What can we do so it, does not, so that it does not happen to us? What can we do? Songs of Solomon 2.15, I believe it is, or 16, 2.15 or 2.16 says, it's the little foxes that spoils the vine. The issues that ever escalate to adulterous relationship are never big issues. Think about it. God forbid. If a big disease, sickness came in your family, you guys drop, I mean, you rally together. When you hear the word cancer, everybody comes together. You're on the same page. Nobody has to tell you before you rally together. God forbid your child is not doing well in school. If husband and wife have not been talking for two weeks, when you hear your child is having a failing grade in school, what happens? All roads lead to the situation. What must we do to help this boy or this girl? Big issues. We rally when it's big issues. It's the little foxes. What are little foxes? The inconsistencies. The, 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 the truth I shade a little bit. The information I fail to give you. The gap in communication that I think is not important. That I ignore. The little foxes. Listen. Nice mans uh, mansions. Nice. Big nice mansions are destroyed by, you know what? Termites. Termites. Beautiful edifice. Termites that you cannot even see with your naked eyes. They get it one day, you push the wall, everything falls down. It's been eating at the root. Little foxes. What must we do to make sure we don't fall prey to this? Number one, install a security system around your life. Install a security system on your life. Now, in this building, there's a security system. If anybody breaches any door, any window, the alarm goes off. It doesn't matter where you are in the building, whether you are in the sanctuary, in the office, in the restroom, if the alarms were activated and anyone breaches it in any place in the building, the alarm goes off. The police department will be on the way immediately. Why? Because a security system is in place. How do I bring that home to where I am? I'm glad you asked. Install a security system around your minds. 
your minds. Your minds. The battle that you and I fight every day is in our minds. Renovate. You have to renovate your minds. You have to allow your mind to be renewed based upon and according to the word of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yep. It starts in the mind. That's what the Bible says. As a man thinks, so is it. So is it. Listen, I keep on saying it. By the time you get to the place where you're taking off your belt, unzipping your trouser, and climbing out of it, well, some, some of you guys don't have to go all, through all of that. You can do it through, through, through all of If you've been watching, what's this crazy movie? Uh, Scandal. Ah, wait a minute. Hello? Is anybody here? Nobody here has ever watched Scandal? Olivia Pope and the president and the president of the United States in the hallways, in the toilet ways, in all the crazy ways, the things they do. Oh, they want something else. Thank you very much. As a man thinking this, in other words, all these compromising thoughts, you need to cast them down. Don't engage in those. That's how it starts. You think it. Long enough, you're going to be doing it. These commercials, they know what they are doing. They show you the pictures. You say, wow, look at this Louis Vuitton bag. My gosh. It's enter your eye gates. You go to sleep, you're dreaming Louis Vuitton. You dream it long enough and the enemy will set you up. Two weeks later, you hear about the bag. It's now on sale. <laughs> Originally, $499. But because you've been dreaming, thinking for a long time now, all of a sudden it's on sale for $199. Say, yeah, that's my kid to go and get it. Really? You think that's an accident? That's a setup. Because you're watching the wrong things at the wrong time. And the enemy of your soul that knows what you are watching sets you up and you think, this is a deal. Yeah. Whether it's $4.99 or $1.99, neither, you can't afford either. But the enemy says, it's a deal. You need it. Go get it. That's exactly what happens. That's why the Bible says, casting down every imagination and every high thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought captive to the abundance of Christ. Once your thought goes amok, you're finished. You're an adultery waiting to happen if you don't control your thoughts. Billy Graham said it like this. He said, you see a beautiful woman, give it one look. Yes, give it one. He said, it's always the second look that gets you. You can't avoid that first look. I mean, you weren't looking for it. She just walks by you. Wow, that's nice. But if after saying that's nice, you turn again. <laughs> for you men or women that watch NFL football, are you ever amazed? How when halftime comes, 
All of a sudden, binoculars came up. Everybody's now looking at the cheerleaders. When they're done, where were the binoculars? While the game was on, it's under the seat. But once it's half time and those girls are dancing and doing all that crazy things, all the men bring their binoculars out there. They don't want to miss anything. No. <laughs> Always a second look. So install a security system around yourself. Do you get that? Very, very simple. The thought comes, cast it down. Nope, this is not me. I'm not going there. Leave me alone. And avoid the second look. Thank you, Dr. Greg. <laughs> He's gonna, he wrote that down on his palm. He said, second look is a killer. <laughs> <laughs> the last point. The last point. Install a security system around your spouse. How do you do that? Those of you that are very well learned and steep in the law, once I said that, you are thinking private detective. <laughs> watching them everywhere they go. Just have somebody watching them. Security system. Watch, watch, watch. You are thinking, get their cell phone. Check everything at all the costs. Wrong. Wrong. Remember, it's not about black and white. No. The way you install a security system around your spouse, you treat them like a Rolls Royce. You treat them like a Rolls Royce when somebody offers them a bicycle, it's an easy choice. It's a no-go. Seriously. Seriously. And I'm done. Last week I was watching Bishop, or rather Archbishop Margaret Idahosa whose husband passed 20 years ago. She just turned 75. And they gave her an incredible celebration for her 75th birthday. And so somebody had a sit-down interview with her. I wanted to know, you still look very youthful, and she did. I mean, she looked very good. But you still look youthful. Your husband has been gone for 20 years. Why did you not remarry? On TV, they asked her. She laughed. She said, what can a marriage give me now that my husband did not give? What can a marriage give me now that my husband did not take care of when he was alive? He said, I have everything and anything I can ever desire. He said, I am fulfilled. The thought does not even cross my mind. In other words, the husband treated her and left enough to make sure she remained treated like a Rolls Royce. And therefore, she had no reason to try to get hitched. Are you hearing me? Again, how to prevent an affair? Begin with yourself. Cast on those thoughts. Place a security system around your mind. And number two, regardless of if your wife deserves this or if your husband deserves this, Take that off the table. Don't use the, well, do they deserve it? Once you start going there, you are in the law. Grace does not think of if you are deserving. In fact, grace was given because all of us are undeserving. Amen. That's the reason for grace. If we were perfect, if we were all all right, there would be no reason for grace. But because we were all, or rather, because we are all lacking, 
and we are all not all right, that is the reason for which grace is brought into play. Are you hearing me? Good. I'm done. We're going to continue this on Wednesday night. That's what I'm saying to you. We're adjusting the gossip so that you can have the opportunity to ask questions and get involved on Wednesday. And so now I want to pray. The only reason this works is that you are in Christ Jesus. If you're outside of Christ, it's a totally different situation. It's totally different. So if you're here and you're not born again, that is the starting point for everything I've said right now. If there's anybody here that says, you know what? I want Jesus. I want Jesus into my life. I want to pray for you right now. He's the only one that can strengthen your family, that can restore your family, that can mend broken hearts. He's the only one. He's the only one. Okay, there's no one. All right, I'm not going to push the envelope. For the rest of us, Pastor Shina hit it on head. After worship, I was, I was telling my wife, he took it right off my, page, my, my, my book. Many of us are dealing with shame. Or guilt. Or perhaps condemnation. Now this are altar call for release. Guilt, shame, condemnation. It does not have to be because of adultery. Let me make that clear now. There are so many reasons for which we feel guilty, ashamed, or perhaps condemned. I made a wrong decision that's cost my family greatly. That could be good cause for shame. I'm always getting these ideas where I'm investing $500 and I never bring anything back home. Always a loss. Every business proposition I share with my husband or my wife is a loss. And I'm living with the condemnation of that. Because, because of that, I've lost my stand in the family. Anytime I bring a new suggestion to the table, my husband or my wife will say, oh, is it like the last one? We know how much the last one cost us. You're dealing with that shame and guilt and condemnation. Whatever else it may be. I don't have enough words to, to give it as many scenarios where a man or a woman can be in shame, guilt, or condemnation. And I'm saying to you this afternoon, that is not Jesus' plan for you. Amen. Romans 8, 1 says, there's therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ. Period. Period. I don't want you to keep on grappling with that. Because as long as you feel condemned or shamed or guilty about something for which God has already cleared you, you will never fully be able to function for God. The enemy will forever remind you and rub your nose on the ground. If that's you this afternoon, where you are, stand to your feet. Let's pray together. Anybody says I'm grappling with shame, guilt, or condemnation for whatever the reason is. Remember what I said to you? It's not just because of the subject we just dealt with. It could be for any of thousands of reasons for which a man or a woman can be in shame or guilt or condemnation. I feel guilty because I'm not performing. I feel condemned because I didn't pray enough. I feel ashamed because I didn't read my Bible the way I should. All of that is on the table. And it's there to rob you of your confidence before God. And Amy says, 
Once your confidence is robbed, it's taking the rug from under your foot. That's it. It's a slippery foot. Slow. Please come. Come forward. Come forward. Whoever it is. For whatever the reason is. Some of you may be feeling this guilt or shame or condemnation because of your past relationships. I didn't keep a man. I didn't keep a woman. Or I messed up. I do this. Whatever the reason is. Whatever you find. Whatever reason under heaven. The answer is the same. Jesus came to bring us deliverance. Pastor Shina, please come. You started this. Anybody else before we pray? Ah. This is, this is a huge deliverance service, my friend. I just showed you how in John chapter 8, Jesus not condemned the, condemned the woman that was caught in adultery. If a person was caught doing that and was not condemned, how much more you? How much more you? Don't carry the guilt for a failed relationship for which Jesus has already cleared you. The fact that you got a divorce or your husband left or your wife left, you should not carry the brunt of that. You are not made to do that. Leave it at the cross. Leave it at the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Can we all rise and stretch forth our hands and join faith with us together as we approach the throne of grace and just thank God for what he has done. God, our Father, send the Lord Jesus Christ for this very purpose, yes. to set us free, to take upon himself the guilt, the shame, whatsoever it is. Let's just stretch forth our hands and join faith with this brothers and sisters to thank God for what he has done. Thank you Lord Jesus. Thank you Lord Jesus. Glory be to your name for your blood. Thank you for the blood that set us free. The blood that makes us whole. The blood that wipes away all our gifts and all our shames. In the precious blood of Jesus. Thank you, precious blood of Jesus. Glory be to your name. We thank you. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for the blood of Jesus that set us free. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that have set us free. We glorify your name for the blood of Jesus that have set us free. The blood of Jesus has set us free. We thank you for your blood. We glorify your name, Lord Jesus, because your blood has set us free. We thank you. We glorify your name for these your children. As we join our faith together and thanking you, Lord Jesus, for your freedom, for your liberty. We thank you. We glorify your name. We exalt you. Thank you, blood of Jesus. Thank you, precious blood of Jesus. Thank you for the precious blood of Jesus. We glorify your name. Yes. Yes, Lord. We thank you. We receive the deliverance. We receive the freedom. We receive the liberty. In the name of Jesus, you open your hands and you give gifts unto men. Glory be to your name now, Lord. We worship you. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that set this ones free. And has given us liberty and given us freedom to fulfill that for which you have called us. Thank you, mighty God, that there shall be a significant manifestation 
of your progress and all that you have called these your children to do from this moment onward there shall be a remarkable significant manifestation of your freedom your liberty your victory that you purchased for them at the cross of Calvary in every aspect oh Lord God Almighty that I brought unto you this afternoon we thank you we glorify your name and therefore now we prophesy according to your word